Argentina, champions of the world. Again. It's World Cup glory for Argentina again. That winning moment captured by Sky Sport in a game had everything. We unpick it shortly. What's going on in the A-League? We reflect on 2022. We also talk with a women's rugby team about fundraising for getting their kit on by taking it off, kinda. And we've got an update on the black cats of Rotorua SPCA. Kia ora Aotearoa, I'm Zoe George and this is the podium, sports news but not as you know it from Stuff. After nearly a month of football drama, Argentina has come through victorious in a match being described by some as one of the greatest finals of all time. Up early to watch it and joining us now is ex-Phoenix player and former top British footballer Paul Eiffel. Goodness me, Paul. What an action-packed game. Yeah, look, I'm glad getting up at uh, five to four uh, with my daughters. I'm, I'm glad it was because... I was a little tired. Um, yeah, definitely sleepy those first few minutes, but it, it soon kicked off. And yeah, 2 0 at half time, I thought it was all over. And yeah, you know, 37 seconds between the two French goals and Mbappe just took over. It, yeah, just crazy. One of the one of the greatest games I've ever seen. It was absolutely crazy. You know, they were up by two. Argentina were up by two with 10 minutes to go. And then for me, all of a sudden, it looked like a light switch flicked on for France and Mbappe showed up, slotting in those two goals, as you said forcing the game into extra time, Messi scores and Mbappe slots in a penalty, sending it to penalties. Could you even write that finish? It was, it was pretty surreal. I mean, it, there was so much going on. It was it was done and dusted and then Mbappe takes over and it looks like France are going to go and win it. You get to extra time and, you know, it's written that Messi's going to get the winner. He, he duly thinks he probably has and the game seemed to be sort of sort of slowly, you know, getting there and then a, a penalty sort of from nothing. I think it was one of those opportunities for, for France to, to take a shot and it, it didn't look like it was going and I think the keeper had it covered and an arm goes out and there's a penalty and Mbappe steps up to score his hat-trick. I mean, the fact that he scored a hat-trick in a, in a World Cup final and had been on the losing side is quite ridiculous, to be honest. Um, you know, top scorer in a World Cup as well. Uh, he's had a fantastic World Cup, but it was it was Messi's moment and I'm, and I'm glad he got that moment and I'm hopeful that, you know, Mbappe gets gets a chance again in, in four years' time. I think the way he's playing and, and the way his career looks like it's going, um, I think that will probably be the case. Mm, every time he touched the ball during the game, the crowd just went absolutely berserk for Mbappe. He's only the second player to get a hat-trick in World Cup final history. The other one was Englishman Jeff Hurst in 1966. Uh, Mbappe finished with 12 goals for the tournament as the top scorer. And Messi was player of the tournament. But do you think that Argentina, when they were 2-0 up with... 10 minutes to go. Did they just take the foot off the gas a little bit? I don't know if they did. I thought, I thought they were still trying to press. I still thought they were trying to play the same way. I think it was just a case of the first goal came from nowhere. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're on the back foot. I mean, you're 2-0, you're seeing the game out with 10 minutes to go. But the minute they get back to 2-1, you know, one mistake get, lets them back in. And there was no time to even be thinking about that because, like I said, I think it was less than a minute later, it was 2-2. And then at that point you're thinking, right, we cannot lose this game. We, we need to regroup. We need to get to extra time. And I think they did well to do that. The momentum was all on France's side at that point. So I, I was thinking it was going to end 3-2 to France in normal time. Argentina have done well to get to that point. And then Scaloni's done well to sort of regroup. I think the one thing he did make a big mistake on, they, he, he made a sub on a defensive corner, 3-2 in front with four minutes to play. And that's what led to the goal. I mean, maybe not directly, but you, it's just an old, it's an old wives' tale type of situation. You just do not make a, uh, defensive sub um, when you're facing a corner um, and it nearly came back to bite him but 
I saw his interview after and he was he was crying his eyes out. I mean, he's, he's played for Argentina. He's he's then come back as coach, and it's a pretty pretty cool story for the coach, you know, on his own without the whole messy stuff going on as well. It's um it's also the third time a final's been won on penalties. France has been here before in '94 against Italy. They lost to Italy at that time, and then Brazil Italy in 2006. Is this the way to win the World Cup final? No. There's there's massive drama. I mean, it got to the stage where we I'd been watching that long that I wanted penalties just to see that drama. But I think you know it'd have been nice to see Messi Messi's. Three-two goal be the be the winner, um, but uh, you know any which way you can get it, it doesn't really matter. It's just you know for those players, and they'll never forget it. And it's also a new record for World Cup goals: 172 goals for this tournament. Absolutely insane. I think there was better football. I think it was everybody's fitter. Um, you know, normally you you're, you're coming off the back of a full season. Um, you're going into it tired as much as it's 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 exciting. You're this is in the middle of the season. Everybody's fit. There should be no excuses. So you know if you if you get there. You're fit, and you look at somebody like Lionel Messi, 35 years old. He played, I think, nearly every single minute of the tournament. They were talking about it on the on the TV just earlier there, saying that the one thing that Argentina have to be uh, congratulated for they lost the first game of the tournament. So after that point, there was no chance of resting anybody. They literally had to win every single game and, and Julie went out and did that. So a fantastic achievement in itself. Paul Eiffel, thank you so much for joining us on the podium. Here's what else is making headlines. You might be slightly annoyed if you had a five-day pass to the Gabba test with Australia making history by rolling South Africa in two days and winning by six wickets. It's the first time since 1931 that a test in Australia has ended in two days. They head to the Melbourne cricket ground for the Boxing Day test. Meanwhile, Canterbury's in-form all-rounder Henry Shipley is poised to make his Black Caps debut after being selected in the one-day squads for the back-to-back three-match series in Pakistan and India in January. And the Super Smash kicks off on Friday at the Bay Oval between Northern and Canterbury, followed by the Wellington Blaze and Firebirds at the Basin Reserve against Otago on Christmas Eve. And in other football news, Eastern Suburbs have won New Zealand football's Women's National League Championship Grand Final defeating Western Springs 4-0 in a dominant performance at Mount Smart Stadium. It's been an absolutely huge sporting year with World Cups coming out of your ears, the Commonwealth Games and, of course, the Rugby World Cup. Recently, I attended the Nuku Auto Sport Wellington Conference and asked them what their highlights for 2022 were. Highlight for 2022 was absolutely seeing the Black Ferns dominate on the field for Rugby World Cup, showing the world that women's sport is not a minority sport, Uh, that we are successful, that we are powerful, that we have an impact, that we are commercially viable and here to stay. That was absolutely my highlight. I went to the Black Ferns final. Me too! Uh, It just, the environment was electrical and I just couldn't, I was just so amazed by it all. That, that, That just really like, whoa. And that's just been the buzz of my year really. And knowing that there's more women's sports at this, this, the podium stage that have really been showcased, which is, yay, about bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> about bloody time. Uh, and 23, what are you looking forward to? Uh, um, again, we've got the FIFA Women's Cup, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to shape out and, and the, the electrical environment that it's going to provide our society with as well. 2022, I have to say, it was the Beijing Winter Paralympics and the gold medal. So yeah, watching the watching the athletes 
coming down the, uh, the snow in Beijing at Yixiangzhou, flying the New Zealand flags and just being there in a time when the world was still in lockdown was pretty freaking amazing. And 23, what's going to be, what are you looking forward to? 23, oh gosh, the world's opening up, all sorts of opportunities and more people getting involved in sport, looking forward to the summer of sport. Well, to look back on 2022 and to throw forward to 2023, it is Stuff Sports Journalist and Podium Regular, Joseph Pearson. Kia ora, Joe. Hi Zoe, last one for the year for me before my long overdue holiday. Woo-hoo, well-deserved break. You've been an absolute workhorse this year, particularly around the Women's Rugby World Cup. We'll get there shortly, but first it was a historic year for us on the snow, wasn't it? Nearly 12 months ago, pretty much. It was in February. It feels like a lot longer, but yeah, we had the first gold medals for New Zealand at the Winter Olympics after 70 years for Zoe sadowski Sinnott and Nico Porteous. Um, yeah, over in Beijing, it was certainly momentous, which is a word I've been using a lot this year for the events I've covered. But yeah, it was huge for, for the sports. There's long been um, talent, snow sports talent, but there's never been the pathway for them to succeed in New Zealand. I see both of them have been nominated for the Halbergs. Um, I mean, Zoe Sadowski said it must be a shoo-in for Sportswoman of the Year. Yeah, I think so. Um, some of the Blackfins in there will probably probably being like the team of the year um reckoning as well of course and then the other big event for you this year has been the rugby world cup on home soil you were here there and everywhere up to whangarei in auckland was it six weeks eight weeks on the road it was incredible yeah six weeks it was it was incredible yeah i think the way it built to that final that we spoke about beforehand being the dream final was cool i think the thing that's shocked me most is I've lived in New Zealand for nearly seven years now, best part of seven years, and I've never seen a New Zealand team, Tongan League fans are the most insane fans I've seen ever, but I've never seen the country get behind a team like that um, in New Zealand. It was epic, and just to see the crowds at, in Northland and especially Eden Park for the final was was magic, wasn't it? And it, the first night as well was, was great, but... The result was storybook, wasn't it? They weren't expected to beat France or England and they had to beat both and they just beat both at the death, pretty much, didn't they? Um, and I think the way, the, pub, the way they engaged with the public was very refreshing for those of us who cover lots of rugby and it was something that will go down in certainly something that goes down as a career highlight for me, I'd have to say, so far, um, just because of the the emotion, the euphoria and ultimately the country got the right result in the end and it was harsh on England who'd won 30 matches in a row to lose at the final hurdle like that but the way it finished just coming down to the last line out I mean it was it was a fitting finish for what was a marvellous tournament. So inside word who's going to be the Black Ferns coach? I don't think they'll be pressing to get it done before Christmas because there won't be enough time however um January has to be sorted by then, ideally, because Super Rugby OPQ begins in February. But who's going to be the next coach? At this stage, Alan Bunting and Wes Clark, who were both with the team last year. Clark, long-time assistant. Bunting, long-time sevens maestro, who um, now works worked with the team last year. 
would appear to be the favourites. I, I reckon either Clark or Bunting, but if an outsider comes in, then they could be contender too. But I don't know if there are any outsiders to replace Wayne Smith. And how do you replace Wayne Smith? It's a very difficult job. I did see Graham Henry um, at Parliament last Tuesday and asked him if he was going to throw his hat in the ring now that he's had a taste of women's sport. And he said to me, no, Zoe, I'm dead. Well, almost. <laughs> so we won't see, we won't see him coaching. Uh, what have you got planned for Christmas? What have I got planned for Christmas? I am going to see my family for the first time in nearly five years in West Yorkshire, so that'll be nice. I haven't been back for a long time because of COVID and visas and whatever. Um, so it'll be freezing cold, it'll be snowy, it'll be nice though. I haven't been back for a long time, so looking forward to it. Quick fire, Joe. What are your predictions for 2023? I think uh going to say England are going to win the Women's Football World Cup and show the blokes how it's done once again because they won the Euros last year after England's men's team lost the Euros the previous year. I think the French will win the Men's Rugby World Cup and uh, this is a bad one for New Zealand fans but I think Ben Stokes will return to uh, play a big role in England winning the 50 over Men's World Cup in India again because he's retired from 50 over cricket. Please travel safe, have a wonderful, restful uh, enjoyable festive season you've entered. Go well, Joe. Our next guest has been covering cricket and Commonwealth Games and is a regular for the podium. It's sports writer Ian Anderson. What a year it's been. Let's start with cricket. The White Ferns. The Cricket World Cup, can you believe, we've had so many events on this year, but the Cricket World Cup was happening in March during COVID uh, and it didn't really go the White Ferns way. No, it didn't. It was a wonderful event though, wasn't it? It was a massive shame, obviously, that COVID restricted audience numbers in terms of attending the events. Uh, Television-wise, it was it was a fantastic watch. Performance-wise, it was really one of the highlights of the year for me to see a lot of athletes that you don't regularly see on TV and by the end of the tournament they've become very sort of familiar figures to me. Obviously New Zealand not making the, the last four was a disappointment. Um, there has been some moves to rectify that since um, and, and we've seen some progress. Obviously they had a uh, obviously a bronze at the Commonwealth Games since then and then uh, coming up next is the T20 World Cup early next year in South Africa as well too so a chance to uh, to make some amends there it's not going to be easy to make that last four either still no well you know and they had a change of coach Bob Carter left um, they had a clean out of players including Leah Tahuhu who didn't get a contract and yet she's been the standout performer against Bangladesh at this end of the year and then to see them do so well at the Commonwealth Games get the bronze Sophie Devine was in tears afterwards I was I was so thrilled for them yeah the the um the wasn't really a clean out, was it? It was interesting in terms of obviously they lost Amy Satterthwaite, um, and that you would have thought that they lost Leah Tahuhu as well too with some of the others. But as mentioned at the time, you know it wasn't going to stop them being selected, and that's been the case. They've been true to their word on that, and Tahuhu has obviously said, okay, well I still feel I am one of the best players in the squad, and and has performed as such when when given that opportunity as well too. There's still a lot that hangs on Sophie Devine and Susie Bates and Amelia Kerr. But at the same time, some of those moves that they did do around those contracts seem to be paying off also when you look at the form of Fran Jonas and Eden Carson as well too. I suppose we should talk about the Black Caps. <laughs> How would you summarise their year? Yeah, it wasn't... 
it was almost, it felt a little like it was the, the end of the golden era a little bit after such success with the World Test Championship win the previous year, being, you know, within millimetres of a one-day World Cup win the previous year as well too, and just a string of Test victories as well too. That didn't happen this year. They got baseballed out of the, the series in England. Um, they made a fantastic start to the T20 World Cup, knocking over the hosts, but then never quite reached those heights again too. And then obviously we've seen... Um, the change coming about with Kane Williamson now stepping down from the test captaincy as well, which gives some added interest into the test series ahead of Pakistan, but he's still going to be uh, holding the reins for that uh, one-day World Cup, which is the next major ICC event next year. They come around rather quickly. Thanks for all your thoughts, Ian. Well, what a year it's been for the All Blacks, and one man who's been all over it is Stuff Sport columnist. Joining us from the beautiful Whited Upper is Mark Reason. Kia ora, Mark. What were your highlights and lowlights from 2022 from the ABs? I can't think of too many highlights, I'm very sorry to say. Um, normally, I suppose the highlight would have been the last 10 minutes of the second test against South Africa, um, just after Bowden Barrett got his yellow card. And somehow they rescued Ian Foster's career, I, I suspect, with that 10 minutes and, and won the match in that time. That will probably be the highlight because uh, everything else flowed from that. But yeah. Highlights, um, too many to mention, really. Uh, well, not too many to mention, but it'll take us quite a while to get through them all. Um, so uh, the two island tests where they got absolutely uh, munched uh, in so many aspects of play and lost the series at home to Ireland for the first time. Uh, the the loss to Argentina, again, uh, the trouble with a lot of these um, losses as well, they were in good positions and just blew them completely. And also, I'd even say, for example, 60 minutes against Scotland, where they hardly saw the ball and were completely un- outplayed by a side that's not one of the best in the world by a long way. Mm, yeah, but Scotland, uh, you know, on home soil over there, they are a tough team, full of spirit. Um so, I mean, were there any positives at all? <laughs> well, I, well, I suppose you could find individual positives. They started to sort out the front row. And one of uh, Ian Foster's problems um, as, a, as a coach at this level has been selection, whether you're talking about the selection of his own coaches or the selection of the players. Uh, he selected entirely the wrong uh, front row for a, a large part of the early parts of his uh, coaching career with the All Blacks and has managed to slowly get it right. Uh, Ethan de Groot, obviously, a lot of us wanted in um, at the start. He wasn't even in the squad, some say for um, disciplinary reasons. Um, Cody Taylor wasn't playing well, that somehow kept uh, retaining his place. Then, weirdly, um, Tane Coles got brought in for that um, third Ireland test um, into the squad almost as a uh, some sort of Wellington uh, tearful tribute to a man, and you don't select um, all black sides out of out of sentiment. It's a strange way to carry on. So um, yes, the, the front row uh, was an improvement. Um, I think another uh, great improvement, uh, which was again by accident almost, came when 
uh, Sam Kane had to go home, and we saw uh, much more Dalton Tabali in the seven sure. And he brought a great deal more power and um, vigor and, and better tackling and, and fewer mistakes, fewer penalties. Uh, to that All Blacks um, back row and made a great difference. Well, there's lots more to come in the new year. Um, Can we win the Rugby World Cup? Yes. um, (laughs) I wouldn't expect the All Blacks to win it, but but yes, um, a a lot of these um, big sporting events now, as they get closer and closer and closer, hinge on a lot of refereeing decisions. Obviously, the All Blacks uh, won... And that match in Australia off, off a refereeing decision. You could say that they got out of trouble against Scotland off refereeing decisions. Um, so if, the, and we've seen uh, in quite a lot during the Football World Cup, um, some big refereeing decisions influencing matches and teams who have pr- progressed. So if, if they get to a point of near parity, which they should be able to do, uh, then with luck, they could go all the way. But I suspect if, if luck equals out, then no, they won't be quite good enough because their coaching staff is not as good as some other um, coaches around the world. A few weeks ago, the Gore Pioneer women's rugby team came up with a novel way to fundraise to ensure they can get their kit on by taking it off kind of. They've launched a nearly nude calendar and Rachel Corlett, the team's second five, is with me now. Rachel, you are far braver than I am. (laughs) Oh, I think it takes a little bit of confidence. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Uh, So who came up with this idea and and how are the calendars going? Um, I think most of us had all sort of talked about this idea for a couple of years and we've always kind of joked about like this is something that could be great and like fundraising money for the club um and then it just sort of like flowed on from there and we thought about all these ways that we could do it and then we knew people doing photography and it just sort of all came together and that we could all like make a certain day and take these photos and make a calendar so yeah the calendar's going really well I think um we've sold 400 um copies at the moment so yeah it's really good 400 copies it's amazing and so what's the money being used for so we're using the money towards um being able to get our own changing room it's just that at the club at the moment there's changing rooms but there's not a lot of room for all three of our senior teams to be able to play on the same day on the saturday and all shower and get through like in the same sort of time Goodness, don't even get me started on changing rooms and access to toilets. It's one of my favourite subjects. Um, Well, and I mean, I guess that shows as well the growth of the women's game, doesn't it? That we need space. uh, And so we've got to, yeah, you've got to give us some space. Yeah, yeah. Pioneer um, Rugby Club, it's great for just really getting behind us and um, giving us all the support we need and giving us all these kind of ideas and ways that we can make it better and make it easier for ourselves. And what kind of people have been buying the calendars? Oh, there's all kinds, like family are buying them, people that support the club. Also, like, I feel there's like boys that are in flats around the country that are buying them. So like, there's definitely a real range of people out there. Does it does it make you feel empowered to feel, you know, to know that you might be hanging in a student flat somewhere in Dunedin? Oh, yeah, definitely. It, you kind of feel a little bit like you could have be someone's little crush or something like that. So... 
gives you a little bit of a pep in your step. Just a little bit of a pep in your step. So uh, we're coming into Christmas. Might make a really nice stocking stuffer, maybe. Probably don't fold it because you might ruin the pictures. So how can we get a copy and how much are they? So they're $30 and it's just through contacting our Pioneer Women's Rugby um, Facebook page or Instagram page. Well, good luck. Uh, how much more money have you got to raise? We need up to like $250,000. So it's oh. a very endless amount, but anything that we can fundraise to help put towards it is um, just a great effort. Hey, producer Jono. Hello, Zoe. Good morning. Um, you've actually got a cute, fluffy update for us. We have, we have. Remember those cute little black cats we talked about on last week's show? Uh, there was all these black kittens at uh, the Rotorua SPCA, and they all had rugby names like uh, Ruby Tui, Rohe Demont, uh, Sam Kane, Artie, Bowden, etc., etc. Well, it turns out quite a few of them got adopted after our episode last week, which is awesome that podium listeners are getting out there and adopting these little cats. We're claiming absolute credit for this, by the way. Ruahe and Artie are still available, so if you're still in the market for a cute little kitty, uh, then get down to the Rotorua RSPCA and you will be in business. And they also have nationally um, 1,244 kittens in their care and 1,443 in foster homes. And they need more foster parents. So if you love cats as much as me, maybe get yourself one, a forever furry friend, or become a fosterer before Christmas. That would be doing your bit at this time. And what are you doing for Christmas? I'm having a very, very quiet one. I've discovered that I was not match fit for a full year of socialising after two years of lockdowns, which got you out of so many plans. And I'm just having a really, really quiet one. That sounds amazing. I've got a bit of backyard cricket, barbecues, nieces and nephews, bit of champagne. Oh, yeah, I think that books, beaches, that will be me. And that's it for the podium for 2022. I'm Zoe George, and on behalf of our guests this week, producer Jono Williams and Philippa Tolley, audio editor Connor Scott, thank you so much for listening all year. You have been amazing. You can get in touch with us via email, thepodium at stuff.co.nz. What kind of sports person would you name a cat after? Uh, we'll be dropping bonus episodes for you over the summer. Did you know there are four major World Cups for us to look forward to next year, including one of the biggest right here on home soil, the Women's FIFA Football World Cup. Have a wonderful and safe summer, everyone. Until next time, Namihi, go well. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.